Podcastle, number 31, for October 28, 2008. Colin and Ishmael in the Dark by William Shun. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson. Today's story is a tense and gruesome little duet, Colin and Ishmael in the Dark by William Shun. It begins, as you will soon learn, with dinner being served in complete darkness. Now, you might think dinner being served in complete darkness is an intriguing concept to be found only in a fantasy story, but Google the phrase dark dining and you'll discover that it is actually an up-and-coming urban trend. The practice of eating in complete darkness in order to better appreciate subtle smells, flavors, and textures has spread to Paris, New York, and Los Angeles. On the Sunset Strip, the restaurant Opaque packs them in nightly at around $100 a pop, dry cleaning bill not included. It all started in Zurich in 1999. A young priest by the name of Jorge Spielemann, himself blind, opened a restaurant called The Blind Cow to give the sighted a chance to experience the world as he and his legally blind waitstaff experienced it. He has said, The sighted guests commented that being blindfolded made them give more emphasis to the food and listen more intently to the conversation around them. There were no visual distractions, only intense concentration. Concentration and intensity are certainly not lacking in Colin and Ishmael in the dark, but the enhanced sensations that might be pleasurable when enjoying delicious food can also have a more gruesome side. As you'll discover in today's story, there are some sensations one definitely does not want enhanced by darkness. William Shun attended Clarion in 1985. His first professional sale was to FNSF in 1993, and since then his work has appeared in Salon, Asimov's, Realms of Fantasy, and many years' best anthologies. He has been nominated for several awards, including the Hugo, Nebula, and Theodore Sturgeon Memorial Award. His novella, Cast a Cold Eye, a ghost story written with Daryl Murphy, will appear as a standalone volume from PS Publishing in spring of 2009. He also has a chapbook called An Alternate History of the 21st Century, currently available from Spilt Milk Press. The story is read by Marbell, who runs Director's Notes, a blog and weekly interview and video podcast dedicated to independent filmmaking in all its wondrous forms, lengths, and styles. Enjoy the story! In the total darkness, the incessant drip-drip of lime water on stone was the only sound to be heard. Steady as the beating of a heart, ceaseless as the motion of the stars, that sound filled the darkness, fed the darkness, became the darkness. It stitched the seconds together loosely into minutes, the minutes into long, ragged hours, and the hours into great tattered sheets that flapped like ghosts in an unseen wind, leaving behind only grey threads of time to mark their passage as they unravelled. In all of creation there was only dripping water, and beyond the reach of its echoes the world no longer existed. This changed only twice a day, when metal ground harshly against metal, and the bolt sprang back from the rusted lock with the sound of a crossbow quarrel being loosed. This particular day began like every other. The resonant creak of the hinges, the crushing reverberation as the door slammed shut, and the tread of steel-toed boots crossing the damp stone floor and then pausing. Breakfast, Ishmael said a voice warning to sing-song by the repetitiveness of its daily routine. Just put it there on the settee, will you? This dry voice spoke wryly and precisely. 
Of course, the first voice chuckled, and those ringing footsteps crossed the remainder of the distance without hesitation. Would you like your serviette tucked into your collar as well? No, no, that won't be necessary. Stoneware clinked as the tray was set down. Now, what have we today? Oh, feels like... eggs. Fresh, I'd say, and over easy. Hmm, but bigger than usual. Colin, you haven't been dipping into the goose nest again, have you? Who, me? Why, of course not. Goodness, man, what will the lieutenant say? And this? My nose tells me it may be bacon, but the texture is not coarse enough. It can't be ham, can it, eh, Colin? And this carafe is too heavy to contain mere water. Go on, taste it. A clink and a faint slurping carried through the darkness. By thunder, Colin, this is fresh cream. You're certainly taking risks today, my friend. To what good fortune do I owe this morning's sumptuous feast? Have you taken a mistress? A note of sly complicity entered the voice. Is that why you feel so expansive today? Hardly, you degenerate. We're celebrating you today, Ishmael. It's your anniversary. Anniversary? Why should I want to celebrate my anniversary? Didn't you tell me two, three years ago that my wife had finally set her back to this sad little duchy? Not that anniversary. A more important one now. It's five years today that you've been with us as a client. Oh, that. A hollow cause for celebration, if ever I heard one. Am I to be fettered, then, with nothing more than extra rations, Colin? Come, why not unfetter these poor ankles and let us dance to the occasion? Because the Duke no longer entrusts that particular key to my keeping after the uproar you created last time. Colin, that was over two years ago. Where is your compassion, my good friend? Don't start with me, Ishmael. And if you've nothing better to do than to complain after I risked another reprimand on your behalf, then I have other clients to attend to. The metallic tread receded. No, wait, I apologise. I know you do all within your power. I am grateful for it. The footsteps halted. Have you any news today, Colin? A sullen pause followed. Have you any new stories for me? I asked first. Oh, all right. The footsteps returned. Old Bradford Smith lost his hand in a cauldron of molten lead last afternoon. Goodness. He did not actually lose the hand in the cauldron, of course but it had to be removed nonetheless. Oh, and the Scrivener's daughter was found with child. Yes? What a disgrace to poor Benjamin. No connection with Bradford's hand, I presume. No, of course not. A little sniffle could be heard in the chill darkness. Anything else? How's your father's dropsy? As nasty as ever. And your lovely wife? Serena is quite well, thank you. Oh, by the way, the captain of the guard still inquires after you daily. Yes? Yes. He hopes you're alive and well and rotten in your torment. Send him my regards as well. I shall. I only wish I knew what the whole business was about. Now to our business. What, Colin? Oh, of course, of course. Today's tale. You are an insatiable one. But first... Oh my, this is excellent, Ham. First, would you be good enough to help me set the stage? I'm sorry? Colin, you know this corner of the dungeon quite well, do you not? Oh yes. Twenty paces wide, forty long, just enough distance to provide the appropriately sinister echo effect. Twenty-seven paces from the door to your pallet, with a bit of a turn at... Very good. Tell me, do you know the location of the three sconces set into the wall away from the door? The east wall? I haven't lit those torches since the order three years ago. The dry voice snorted. Measures to reduce my mischief. 
as if I should be satisfied with this lot. Um, I believe I still recall where they are. What? Oh, oh yes, the sconces. Would you be so good, Colin, as to walk directly towards the southernmost one? Walk? What for? Trust me, Colin. You will require the cold touch of brass beneath your hand if you are to fully appreciate the tale I will spin for you this morning, which I call The Sad History of the Nobleman's Son and the Brazen Chatelaine. And how late did you stay up devising this story, Ishmael? The tread echoed off in the appropriate direction. How many nights- By the gods! This last exclamation was accompanied by a resounding crack of bone on stone. Dear Jove, Colin, that sounded like a nasty fall. Are you hurt badly? The response was snappish and gruff. Who says I'm hurt at all? If I needed any confirmation of the fact, the strain in your voice would do quite nicely. It tells me you are in pain as plainly as if you had spoken it outright. And that sharp cracking sound of a moment ago, combined with the fact that your voice is coming from about knee level, would lend me to believe that you may have broken an ankle, Colin. No need to hold your tongue, my friend. Your silence speaks more eloquently than any words. Indrawn breaths hissed with pain in the darkness. There's a hole here in the floor, the size of an infant's casket. I certainly don't remember this being here. An infant's casket? How very imaginative and descriptive. I'd never supposed you so clever, my dear friend. What a delightful surprise. You mock me, Ishmael. I helped to bury poor good wife Miller's tiny son not a fortnight past, in case you had forgotten. Bitterness filled the voice. And you must have known the hole was there. You directed me straight to it. Really? And how would you substantiate such an accusation? How could I have known of any hole in the floor? It was never there before. I don't see how you can state that with such certainty, Colin. But wouldn't it be wise to see about getting that ankle attended to? I see what you're about, Ishmael. There came a heavy sliding across the stones of the floor and a grunt. You've managed to get free of those shackles somehow. You want me to believe you're locked up nicely and tidily over there on your pallet, while in reality you're free to rove about in the dark at your pleasure. Is that so? I believe we have established on more occasions than one, dear Colin, that you are not a clever man. Then how is it that you persist in spinning these elaborate fantasies? Why, you seem almost to want to usurp my rule storyteller. You can't escape from here, you know. The slidings continued and the voice receded in the darkness. Mock me if you must, but even if you could wrest the key from me and get through that door, you can never pass the guards at the head of the stairs. I have no intention of escaping, nor do you, obviously, or you would be groveling your way in the direction of the door rather than following your current head in. I am heading for the door, you pompous ass, and I'm not likely to forget this pitiful groveling, as you call it, is your doing. Ah, but are you certain of that? Are you certain of either point, Colin? First, that your sadly broken ankle is, in fact, my doing, in which case I must be free of my fetters in order to have carved that foot-deep hole out of the floor, or second, that you are really on a heading for the door, since you seem to be orienting yourself solely on the basis of the origins of my voice, with the assumption, of course, that I am still seated in my accustomed spot on the pallet. I don't need any voice to guide me. The voice was curt and brisk. I know where I am. Then wiser you are than the wisest man among us, who would never presume to claim such knowledge, and it therefore puzzles me greatly that you changed your course even as you spoke. This would seem to contradict your statement. You've moved, damn you, Ishmael. I can tell from the sound of your voice. I won't deny it, but neither will I confirm it. Conversely, however, 
I can tell from the sound of your voice that your ankle is not growing any more well. In fact, I judge that you're not doing it much good with your aimless wrigglings through the dark. Is it beginning to swell yet, do you think, Colin? Are the jagged ends of bones sawing their way through tendons and ligaments with every desperate move? Stand still! Really, Colin? The beginnings of panic? The dry voice was suffused with condescension, with stern disapproval. How very, very unbecoming of you. I would have expected better, especially seeing as I haven't moved an inch. The heavy laboured breathing gradually slowed, but still hitched in pain. I've been your best friend these five years, Ishmael. Your only friend. Is this how you repay me for the extra rations at breakfast? For letting you stretch your legs when I used to carry the right key? For listening to your bloody stories every day when I have other duties to attend to? I've endured reprimand after reprimand for your sake, Ishmael. What more do you want from me? What sort of game are you playing? Steady on, Colin. Try not to cast about this way and that as you speak. You need feel no compulsion to address all four walls at once. I assure you that I exist only in one location at a time, and I fear that if you keep up this way, your anchor will never forgive you the punishment. I fear you may walk the remainder of your days with a limp. Just answer my question! A sharp rasp entered the voice. And for the love of God, keep yourself put! You know, Colin, you're no great fool, but you certainly do lack that elusive spark we call imagination. Answer your own question, for heaven's sake. Here we find ourselves, trapped together in a darkness from which you yourself say there is no possibility of escape. None for you, you thankless bastard! Granted, none for me. That being so, what could I possibly gain from playing any sort of game? As you say, Ishmael, I haven't the imagination to answer that. Do I detect a note of bitterness in your voice, my friend? A note of sarcasm, perhaps? Think on this. Why should I seek to throw off these fetters of mine when it gets me no closer to escape? What would ever drive me to such lengths? What would require that I shatter the bones of my own feet against the stones on the floor in order to slip them through their iron collars? A rattle of chains penetrated the darkness. What power would enable me to sit here, perfectly still for the perhaps close to a year necessary for my misshapen feet to mend, however imperfectly, and what unimaginable compulsion could impel me to teach myself to walk upon those deformed lumps of flesh once the mending was complete, let alone teach myself to move about silently on these wet stones? God in heaven! Yes, Colin, I find it difficult to imagine it all myself as it would also entail betraying none of this to you on your twice-daily visits to my little hell. Surely you haven't. Nothing is sure in this world, Colin. This chamber was carved out of limestone, and the floor filled in afterwards with broken rock and mortar, to a depth of at least eighteen inches. Surely I haven't located a place where dripping water has eaten away at the stone and softened the mortar. Surely I couldn't have managed to pry one of those stones loose from the floor. Surely I wouldn't have persisted in such a mad task, to the point that there now exists a hole. How did you put it? The size of an infant's casket in the floor. Surely I haven't littered its bottom with my bloody fingernails, and I most surely have not retained any of those stones, particularly not for use as a weapon. You're mad, Ishmael. I hope you realise that I carry both a dagger and a club. This sentence was punctuated with short, pain-born gasps of air. Very nice for you, Colin. Yes, I would have to be mad to oppose a man such as you, with only stones in the darkness. 
and I would have to be especially mad to have gone to such trouble as I have described with no reasonable hope of escape, wouldn't you say? By the way, you should know that I hear you inching your way towards the wall. I hope you realise that if I did happen to possess a cache of stones, those sounds of yours would lend me as clear a target as if we stood under a noonday sun. Then kill me and be done with it. The breaths came hard, short and fast. Have your fun and get it over with. Oh, but you misjudge me, my friend. We have so much still to discuss. You really wouldn't want to miss out on it. Tell me, Colin, you're not beginning to hyperventilate on me, are you? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Ah! The cry echoed away into silence. Ishmael? Yes, Colin. Did something frighten you? You... You touched me. You touched my face. I don't see how I could have. Not seated all the way over here with these bothersome fetters shackled round my ankles. The chains rattled once again. No, I don't accept that. I don't see how it would be possible. You lie. You crept all the way over here and you... You brushed my face with the back of your... Your filthy hand. Shall we take a moment and calm ourselves down, Colin? Did you hear me move at all? No, I didn't. Didn't bloody hear you move, you... you bastard. You're going to have to get that breathing under control, my friend, or you're liable to pass out right where you lay. Now think for a moment. I can hear you perfectly well when you move. If I were able to move, wouldn't it be true that you'd be able to hear me as well as I hear you? I don't believe that for... for a moment. Don't you? Do me a favour, Colin. Take a deep breath. Let it out and turn your head towards the sound of my voice. Go bugger yourself! But the breathing slowed nonetheless. I'm afraid I can't quite visualise such an act, Colin. Perhaps you'd care to demonstrate it for me sometimes. I'll demonstrate my club dancing a jig on your skull! Colin, Colin, you've turned your head the wrong way. Towards the sound of my voice, I believe I said. You've gotten behind me! That's ridiculous. Now, towards the sound of my voice. I'll do no such thing! The sound of rough sliding began again. Suit yourself, and if that's the direction in which you'd really like to move, then certainly I won't stop you. I'd like to see you try anyway. Not just yet, Colin, not just yet. First, I'm afraid I have a bit of bad news for you. What? Smashed all the bones in your hands to little bits and can't feed your own flapping gob? Hmm, you're getting better, I must admit. You're certainly getting better, but no, I'm afraid it's even worse than that. Do tell. There came a grunt and a vertical sort of sliding sound. Yes, worse even than the fact that you've managed to prop yourself up against the wall on your one good leg, precisely opposite to the place you would most like to be. Oh, and where? Where would that be? This sentence was divided by a deep intake of breath. I smell your sweat, Colin. Play brave for the moment, but your sweat is filled with the stink of fear. On a diagonal line, you are precisely opposite the door to this chamber. Which would place you somewhere other than the pallet where you claim to be shackled. Take my word for it, or not. I'll take your word for nothing. Easing your way along the wall now, are you? Try not to fall. A sudden brassy clang rang through the darkness. And watch your head on those sconces. Now take my word for this. Your delectable wife, Serena seems to have developed a fancy for that ogre of a butcher. What is his name? Oh, yes, Fat Jack Chesley. How could you claim to know such a thing? Oh, I assure you that I know this, Colin. I see it, even now, 
that brute fat Jack and your dear Serena are even at this moment engaged in a bit of early morning pas de deux, shall we say, on that ratty old cot he keeps in the room behind his shop front. How it ever supports his weight. How Serena ever supports his weight. Ishmael. The smell of slaughtered meat wafts all about them, mixing with the smell of their sweat, which only inflames the passion of our good friend the butcher. That you would stoop so low as to drag the good name of my wife into this. The voice was an enraged hiss. I should kill you for that. Then, pray, why don't you? Because I see what you're trying to do. And what, my clever friend, would that be? You would love nothing better than for me to come at you, to step away from this wall, to lose my balance again. No offence, but I don't believe you're worth that. Then hear this, and know yourself for both a fool and a cuckold. I can see quite plainly that peculiar birthmark on your wife's delightful ivory skin, placed where no eyes but yours and God's should gaze upon it. And Fat Jack Chesley's, of course. Liar! I hear the panic lurking below the surface of your voice, Colin. You've done an admirable job of reining it in since it last betrayed you. But I just wonder how much prod in it will take to bring it out again. Do you deny that Serena has such a birthmark, Colin? Would you like me to describe the shape of it to you? Or possibly to describe the way it moves beneath our friend Fat Jack's ungentle ministrations? Colin, dear friend, you spied on her, you bastard. There was strenuous breathing and the sound of cloth sliding roughly across the stone. Before you were arrested, you spied on her at her bath. Did I now? Shall I describe the sounds of her ecstasy, Colin? My ancestors came down from the North Countries, you see. The sight has always run in our family. You remember the sight. It figured quite prominently in that tale of mine you love so dearly, the improbable friendship of Jolly Roger and Sir Thomas More. Oh, yes, the sight is real, Colin, and were it not for that blessed gift, I'd have gone mad in this darkness long ago. As it is, I spend my days gazing down on the streets and the fields, the homes and the shops of our humble little village. I watch the doings of our townsfolk, their comings and goings, their honour and their shame, their joys and their sorrows, and it is almost as if I walk among them again. Were it not for that blessed third eye, Colin, I would long since have surrendered my mind to this black hell and done it gladly. If this is true, then why ask me the news of the village every day, eh? To confirm that the scenes I gaze upon are true. Don't you see, you cursed blind fool? Don't you see? I see nothing, Ishmael. You're a storyteller. That's all you're telling. It's another one of your bloody stories. I'm a teacher, Colin. I have always been a teacher first and a storyteller second. Gods above, can no one in this cursed duchy grasp that simple fact? Ishmael, you... Silence! Do you know the scenes I am most compelled to gaze upon in my misery, Colin? Do you? I gaze upon the grounds of the castle. I gaze upon the green lawns and the cool gardens and the stone benches where I once sat and taught the children of the Duke himself. He entrusted me with the education of his children, Colin, with their alphabets and their adding tables and their adult little brains, and I in turn entrusted him with a secret which I risked all my standing and position to relate. I risked it because it was true, and the truth is the only thing in this world which has ever been of importance. I still gaze down upon that foul labyrinth of a shrubbery in which I first chanced to spy the Duchess, and the captain of the guard, flagranto delicto, as they say. Still I follow the twists and green turns of those hedges to the centre of the maze, to the accursed inviting bower there at its heart. I should not hear this, Ishmael. You shall hear this. 
You can't cover your eyes in the darkness. Do you know that the Duke refused to see, even as you refused to see, even as I am not allowed to see, surrounded only by light, and both of you refused to see? You all refused to see. Here is Ishmael, the disinherited son. I'm not a storyteller, Colin. I am a teacher. This assertion reverberated into silence. Quiet and dangerous, a voice broke the stillness. Perhaps you should not seek to teach men lies about their own wives. A sudden loud crack resounded in the darkness, followed by a ringing clatter across the stones of the floor. Had your dagger out, did you, Colin? Good luck finding it now. I'll teach you about your beloved wife. Oh, yes. There is much I can teach you about the winsome and welcoming Serena. You struck me, you bloody bastard. The voice was nearly inaudible, lost in wonder. You struck my face. Why, you... I will teach you what the butcher has learned, what the baker has learned, what the thrice-damned candlestick maker has learned. I will open your eyes, Colin. You are far too trusting, and I will teach you to trust no longer. I am a teacher, my friend. My life is worth living only when there is a lesson to impart, and the sole remaining lesson I have to share with you today concerns the complete and utter folly of trust. Another sharp crack, like a shot in the darkness. Bastard! Two quick metallic footsteps sounded, only to be followed by a cry of pain and a heavy crash. Forgot about that ankle for a moment, did you, Colin? Now roll over. Roll over, you worthless sack of dung. Get off me! You... Do you feel this below your eye? Do you? For the love of God, Ishmael, let me up! Ah, it seems this dagger of yours has turned out to serve a useful purpose after all. Better than letting it rust in the dampness, don't you think? What are you doing? What are you doing? Nothing. Yet. And if you will only cooperate, I will need do nothing. We shall recite your lessons now, Colin. You will repeat after me precisely what I say, and we will repeat these lessons until you know them by heart. Do you understand? Won't this be amusing? Don't take my eyes. Please, in the name of God, don't take my... Hold still and get a grip of yourself, or there may be a, an unfortunate accident. You are certainly the least clever pupil I have ever had the misfortune to keep in my charge. Now, are we ready? After me, then. There is no power on earth. I may safely trust, not even my own. Ishmael, for the love of Colin. No more, no more, no more, no more, no. It's only a small cut at the side of your nose. Merely a bit of incentive. Now let's try this again. There is no power on earth. There is no bloody power on earth. I may safely trust, not even my own. I may safely trust, not even my own. Very good. Though, this might be easier if you try to relax a little. Good. Now second, I may never trust any person in authority, for authority cripples the mind and cankers the soul. I may ne- A deep shuddering breath was taken. I may never trust a person in- In authority, for authority cripples the mind and cankers the soul. Cripples the mind and- And- And cankers the soul. Very, very good, Colin. You may just turn out to be a successful student after all. Now, third, I may never trust the fairer sex, particularly when bearing a birthmark shaped to resemble... Enough! There followed a quick whisk of air, a sickening crunch, and a hoarse cry of outraged pain. Metal clattered upon stone. God, Colin, you... Ha! You left one out, Ishmael. 
I may never trust a student with a club. The voice cackled with harsh laughter. I hope your wrist will forgive you. You've sewn it up for yourself now. Footsteps stumbled drunkenly backwards across the stone. I can move like a ghost in this darkness, Colin. I'll take you apart piece by piece. I'll do it at my leisure. You'll never know what direction. This sentence ended with a resounding crack of bone on stone. Dear Jove, Ishmael, that sounded like a nasty fall. The voice cackled wildly. Are you hurt badly? You. You. These moans degenerated into tortuous gaspings for air. The rough sliding sound of earlier resumed, punctuated at times by mad giggles. It proceeded to the wall and then turned left, angling left twice more as it reached corners in the walls. A rusty scrape followed shortly, metal ground harshly against metal, and the bolt of the lock shot back with the sound of a musket being fired in the small room. The door creaked as resonantly as if it opened into the throat of some monstrous bullfrog. The saddest part of this allish mail is that you were scheduled for release this week. The giggles ceased, and the voice was filled with a sudden deep weariness. I wasn't supposed to tell you that, but... There was a sudden rustling of fabric, and then the door slammed shut. You lie, Colin. The dry voice was weak and reedy, but gained strength rapidly. Any child could see through such a transparent fabrication. It's a story. It's a story. It's only a funny story. A tired, muffled voice found its way back through the door. You know me, Ishmael. I'm not clever enough to make up stories. Colin. Colin. Come back here. Colin. Colin? But the only answer forthcoming, steady as the beating of a heart, ceaseless as the motion of the stars, was the incessant drip, drip of lime water on stone. Episode number 28 was Yuji Foster's The Tanuki Kettle, the story of a girl and her mischievous, shape-changing tea kettle. On the blog, Epilonia said, I really enjoyed this story. I listened to it twice and I was grinning the whole time. It helped me deal with a much earlier-than-usual morning commute. And Blaine Boy said, I couldn't help but smile. I loved this story. Absolutely loved it. Normally, I would be brimming with cynicism about how lame and cliché this story is, but it was just so well done I could never be able to bring myself to something negative about it. It was unbelievably good. On the board, RKG said, A completely charming story and an excellent reading had me smiling during my run today. The few dissenters included Yi Cheng, who said, While enjoyable, this story was too predictable and contrived. Come on over to forum.escapeartist.info and join the conversation. We'd love to have you. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. John Locke said... The ignorance and darkness that is in us no more hinders nor confines the knowledge that is in others than the blindness of a mole is an argument against the quicksightedness of an eagle.